Raising the Bets is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to Raising the Bets. We're a Catholic couple raising five kids outside of Boston. Join us as we share the joys and challenges of marriage, homeschool, our adventures near and far as we make sense of the world and experience the best parts of our culture. I'm Tom Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. She's bopping her head as I'm saying my script. So uh, let's talk a little bit about what's been going on this week. Uh, You've been sick. Yeah, I got a cold. I didn't even remember what day of the week it was. Like after that, everything's a blur. Um, It's fall cold time. A lot of people have a cold. Yeah. Lots of my friends have had colds this week. It feels like I don't even know where I picked it up. You know, Anthony was kind of under the weather a couple days this week. And so maybe he picked it up somewhere like at Scouts. Scouts is going to be the usual. Or the neighborhood kids, because our kids are playing with neighborhood kids now. It's true. They're not the strange uh, I mean, he didn't homeschool have, kids who don't play with other kids. He didn't he didn't have any like cold symptoms. Like he slept a lot. Yeah. And he was kind of tired. you know, he was kind of tired and draggy. And one day I thought he kind of felt like he had a fever, but I didn't grab the thermometer. Um but I got the full on head cold. Yeah. And Lucy had a fever last night on the way to bed. Lucy had a fever last night. She fell asleep on the couch, but she hasn't really had any other symptoms. So I mean, she kept possible. asking for cowbell. <laughs> I got a fever and the only cure is more cowbell. That's a, from a Christopher Walken appearance. Saturday Night Sunday Live. Night I remember seeing that one, actually. <laughs> um, anyway. In any case, I mean, I suppose colds can present like with a variety of symptoms. Um, with different people, so who knows? Anyway, I was yep. miserable. Um, you ended up having to take Ben to an appointment because I couldn't on, take him on Wednesday. Yeah, you after right after I recorded Secrets of Tech, uh, you were saying I'm going to have to cancel Ben's appointment. I just don't feel up to taking him. So I said I'll go. I'll just you know I course, can. Because you told me that after I'd already called and left a voicemail right. canceling the appointment. So then I left it, called and left another voicemail uncanceling the appointment and hoped that they got both either neither or both voicemails. Because like if they only got the first one and then rescheduled, that would have been yeah. well, a disaster. Yeah. I can't imagine like they have someone on the on the hook. Can you be here in 20 minutes, you know, or something? But well, it was like more like two hours, but no, no. Oh, well, OK. In any case. Um, it was a three-hour appointment. It was a yeah, long. It was a long appointment. Yeah, I ended up sitting out there, uh, and I was. This, they have a desk there, and they have Wi-Fi, so I was planning on doing some work. But there was this lady that was there that was hogging the desk. So, it, even after her her kid was done, she's doing like a Skype call in the waiting room without uh-huh. headphones. I'm like, I, I kind of wanted to like walk behind her and like like pretend <laughs> I was on the call with her and stuff. <laughs> That would have been fun. Like make faces, pretend I'm going downstairs. <laughs> uh-huh. Be really obnoxious. Anyway. Uh, but it was okay. Yeah. I mean, I actually ended up getting a few things done and reading my book, which was good. I got a lot of books read, I have to say, because I didn't do much else this week. You'll hear all about it in a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so today, because Lucy had had a fever last night, you you and she stayed home from mass. 
so I took the others. Um, and this happened to be the annual prayer shawl ministry Sunday. So our parish, we, we've mentioned it before, but I'll mention it again. Our parish has a prayer shawl ministry where some ladies in the parish at the moment, it's all ladies, but as Maxine, who's in charge of it always says, we're always welcome to have some men come. Rosie Greer knitted famously. And it, like, I kind of want to tell her nobody knows who Rosie Greer is anymore. <laughs> Maxine is very sweet. Yes. Uh, but, she she starts by telling us, I've been a member of the parish for 43 years. Uh, so, yeah, Rosie Greer, for those who don't know, is a famous football player from the 70s. So um, a very big black man who famously also knitted in the locker room. Um, so he was very, like a fearsome football player. And so there was this in- interesting dichotomy between his size and masculinity and in knitting, but um, lots of guys knit. Yeah. So in any case, they have this ministry. They make blankets and shawls and baby blankets and even little prayer crosses. And they're blessed. Father blesses them. And then they give them to people who are in nursing homes or in hospitals and they kind of, you know, to wear or to hold in their lap when they're praying, or if they even can't pray, they, um, you know, it's a comfort to them. And so Isabella quickly at the beginning of mass was like, we should get one for grandma. So I said at the, at the end of mass and they give them away, they don't even sell them, which is, it's beautiful. So at the end of mass, Bella went and picked out a beautiful purple one. Because your mother's favorite color is purple. My mom's favorite color is purple. So, and then uh, Bella and I went in to visit my mom at her nursing home. So just to give a quick update on my mom, she's she's in the later stages of dementia, on, honestly. She's, when we were there, she was, she wasn't really conscious. She was out of it, like, like in and out of uh, consciousness, like falling asleep. But, but yeah, she's not really there there and um you know we gave her the blanket i'm not i think she recognized it um like even while she was sleeping she kept patting it and rubbing it like feeling mm-hmm. the soft uh fabric the soft, the soft yarn and my brother and his wife my brother bernie was there uh bernie and carol so that was nice we caught up with them and i feel like my mom even though like i'm talking to bernie and carol we're there with my mom and just our conversation is helpful. There's something really comfortable, comforting when you're kind of sick and out of it to just hear familiar voices having a conversation nearby. Like I've found that to be the case. Right. Um, I remember when I had pneumonia, just kind of laying in the living room, listening to everyone talk and not being able to be part of the conversation, but just. And you don't have to, to have everyone nearby. Right. You don't have to because other people are, co- are conversing. You can listen and not have to try to contribute to keep it going. You yep. can just be there. And there's a, it can be a comfort in that. So, um, yeah. So if, if you just feel that the urging to keep my mom in your prayers, because uh, it's, we just lost my dad and my mom is now um, in these late stages. So it's been a little hard to see, but, uh, but we're spending the time we can with her. So that's that's what's been going on. Um, let's talk about some things we've been cooking. Uh, I you've been cooking. I've been cooking because you've not been feeling well. You made tacos earlier this week. Which was good. Did I? I made tacos. I did. Yeah, that was before tacos, I got sick. Before you got sick. 
So, um, the, one of the few ground beef meals that you like to eat. I don't really like ground beef very much. It's very frustrating to me because I really like Korean beef bowl and other things like that. I just do not like that. And I, I mean, I want to eat it. Korean beef bowl's okay. Like I'll eat it. It's it's but but none of the kids really like it. So <sighs> when you like a thing and nobody else likes it, and so you can never have it. <laughs> Lots of things that I like that nobody likes. Yes, this is true. So. uh I made a gumbo. We had sausage, an andouille sausage that had been in the freezer for too long, honestly. Honestly, I would tell you not to buy, to stop buying andouille sausage because nobody wants it. I bought it once because I was intending to use it right away, Uh uh, which was probably right before the plumbing disaster. It's like it's been in there a long time. A long time. I probably should have just thrown it away because it was, because frankly, it was freezer burned and it tasted it and it made the gumbo not taste great. Uh, other, other, I mean, I ate most of it cause I like shrimp and I put a lot of shrimp in it, but nobody else really liked it. I think it would have been fine without the, that sausage, but the, uh, it, it kind of gave it an off flavor, but, uh, I, we had a, a ton of frozen shrimp and shrimp was on sale. So I'm like, I could use this, make gumbo and then just replace the shrimp, put that in there. Because I also like to make shrimp tacos at some point. I wanted, to, I like, I like shrimp tacos. I like shrimp really tacos. So that was a not so successful dinner. But then I made uh, tonight. I made an instant pot beef stew. Now you may have may remember me making one not long ago that wasn't great. It was okay. This one was really good. Would you agree? It was good. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> would you agree yes you agree uh so <laughs> sorry i'm kind of tired yes yes i'm yes. kind of spacing right so, now so the one i made before was called the absolute best instant pot beef stew it was not it was not but this one is called uh pressure cooker american beef stew uh this this is a recipe from seriousseatstock.com i messed with the recipe a little bit i didn't do, follow it exactly uh but it starts with you take some, they have chicken stock, but I used, I had a container of beef stock. I like that. And they, they want you to put gelatin and tomato paste in it. And I didn't use either of those. <laughs> the gelatin to make it a thicker sauce, which I like a thicker th- sauce, but there's other ways to do it. I didn't want gelatin. So soy sauce, anchovies. I had anchovy paste in a tube. Uh, so I used that. And Worcestershire sauce. So basically a flavor blast, <laughs> right? and uh, like an umami blast that's what that that is i mean between anchovy soy sauce fish uh, worcestershire sauce and if i'd used tomato paste it would have been even more so they want you to like put it in a blender but i think mainly if you used actual anchovies and and tomato paste you would need a blender i just wished it because it it wasn't that big a deal so you take the beef and i had some stew meat in some sirloin tips both of which i'd gotten on sale over the summer and had been in there in the while so uh i just chopped them up i i've learned when you want to make beef stew you got to cut them small like half half inch cubes quarter inch even like small if those big chunks of meat you just can't like if if it's more than a bite then you gotta cut it or you're like chewing it and uh, you know taking bites off yeah it's not fun so you brown that off in the pressure in the instant pot or the pressure cooker, and then 
you take whatever like liquid is in there and you pour that in with the the mixture of the like the stock mixture that you made and then you brown mushrooms and then you add in uh carrots and onion and i added celery that's not that wasn't on the list but celery what was garlic uh, didn't add the garlic at this point. I want to hold the garlic because if I put it, well, I already, I just mentioned, I already did the mushrooms. <coughs> I don't know. So anyway, uh, so then you brown those up and then you take them out. So the meat you've taken out, cooked, then you cook the vegetables, you take those out. Then you take, um, half an onion, whole carrot, whole celery. And then, um, they want you to put the garlic in, but again, I didn't want to put the garlic in at this point. Um, and you brown those, the the whole. These are, and this is separate from the ones you've chopped, because these are going to add flavor when you cook the meat. Because one of the problems with instant pot uh, stews with vegetables is if you cook the vegetables the whole time uh, the, with the meat, it they just turn to mush. They just because right, you want your meat to be falling apart. You don't want your vegetables to be falling apart. Exactly. So you, it's always going to be done two stages. But you want the meat and the and the stock, the liquid, to get f- the vegetable flavors. So this is the the trick how they do it. So you add the whole vegetables at this point, and then you add some wine. I had so basically you're making the the vegetable stock flavor. Like if you used a homemade stock, you would have the vegetable flavor already in the broth. I think you want even more vegetable even more flavor. vegetable flavor. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you 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 could kind of use like vegetable ends, but that's kind of messy at this point because you want to be able to pull them out at after cooking. Right. So um, you add some wine. I had some red wine, not quite enough, so I added some sherry to go with it. It worked out good, fine. It was good, and you reduce that a little. Then you add in this stock mixture. So you get that in there and then you add the meat. So they, they use um, steaks. What, what, what was the meat? They had a boneless beef chuck roast cut into three steaks. Like I didn't do the chuck roast. I just, I mean, chuck roast would be fine, but I had this stew meat. So I just use that. Then uh, I, I toss the meat with some flour at this point and that goes in. And then you, it was some thyme and bay leaf. Then you pressure cook it on high for like 30 minutes then fish out the carrot and the celery and the bay leaves, uh, the onion end, like the big hunk of onion. You pull that out. So the celery was gone. Like it it had given its all. (laughs) It It was just limp and blech. But the carrot was actually pretty good. It was like tender, but not mushy. So I sliced up the carrot and set it aside. And then... I added in all of the vegetables that I'd previously cooked and set aside and you know, that had been chopped. You know, those go in with the meat. And this is when I added the garlic uh, because, and I left the garlic fairly whole. They have you like leave it unpeeled. I, I kind of crunched unpeeled? and peeled it. Yeah. Because you're discarding it. Oh. You, you're letting see in that first pressure cook, it's giving its all and it's going to disintegrate into the liquid. Oh. But I didn't really want to do that. I wanted to have the, the, the big, the hunk of garlic in the shorter cook. I think you get a better garlic flavor. And I think it was better that way, honestly. So you uh, put all the vegetables in now with the meat and you pressure cook that for another 15 minutes. And then when that's done and you, you do like rapid pressure release, like a, to, right. to, to get it open. And then um, 
I add some frozen peas. This is when I added in the reserved carrot from the previous pressure cook. And then I really didn't need to add salt. I did. That was a mistake. You it was too salty. Have. It wasn't like unedibles, inedible no. salty, but it was more salt than it needed. It was fine. It gets plenty of salt from the meat because you salt the meat before you uh, sear it. And then the soy sauce and the Worcestershire had plenty of salt. So that that was kind of a and mistake. And anchovies are usually pretty salty, too. Yeah, right. So, uh, but everybody liked it. I mean, Sophie's not a big fan of stew. She had some. But everybody else had multiple bowls. Even Ben, who doesn't have a big appetite for dinner. So usually. So that, that was really good. It uh, really successful. So I'll put a link to that. Oh, I forgot about the, the, the potatoes. There was also... Um, some potatoes in there that went in with the vegetables. Those don't get pre-cooked at all. Uh, they get, they get, they go into the final 15 minute pressure cook. And that was enough. Yeah, it was, everything came out perfectly tender, nothing too mushy. The meat was nice, fall apart tender. The, the broth was really flavorful. I mean, the broth could have been thicker. Uh, I, I could have added flour and cooked it down a bit and that sort of thing in the, in the instant pot. But I didn't, I didn't want to. I mean, I suppose if I wanted thicker, I could have added the gelatin in the beginning and be done with it. But I just, uh, I'm not even sure we have gelatin, but we, so, we probably do somewhere. Yeah. So that was really good. That was a good, successful one. And one, one last thing about a food related thing, the cucumber trick. I don't think I've mentioned this before, but so in case I haven't, you'll have to excuse me if I have, because I have a terrible memory. We have, when we have salads for, with dinner, it takes about half a cucumber, half a regular cucumber between our two salads, because only Millie and I will eat the salad. See, Lucy will have, sometimes eat cucumbers. Yeah, I, I usually just give the the extra half of the cucumber to Lucy, so I end up using she won't, the She won't eat it all, though. She like, she'll leave. I throw away a lot of cucumber from her. Uh, she doesn't eat it all. So, I mean, I could cut some extra up for her. But if I've got leftover cucumber, if... One of the bad things about cucumbers, if you put it in the fridge, it's got, it just turns to mush and it's gross and disgusting and you have to throw it away in, in, you know, the next day or two. To preserve it, the best way to do this is as long as it's not peeled, right? Don't peel the whole thing. Just peel the half that you're using and leave the other half unpeeled. Take a paper towel, a double, you know, fold it over. So double width of paper towel and wrap it around the end, the cut end. And then put it in a Ziploc bag and seal it up and put it in the fridge. And it will last for days, like a week even. The very end will get mushy and a little bit gross. So you just slice that off and the rest of it's still crispy and good. It's it's fascinating. It's really awesome because I've thrown so many cucumbers away over the years. Uh, it's nice to be able to not have to waste it if I'm not going to use a whole cucumber. So just a, a little tip. So... That's food. Let's talk about things we've been watching. You and I started watching a new Netflix program series called Inside Man. And it stars David Tennant and Stanley Tucci. Tucci. And it's written and produced by uh, Stephen Moffat, Moffat, who you would know from either Doctor Who. He was the, uh, the showrunner when it was the David not David Tennant, when it was the Matt Smith and Peter Capaldi doctors. Uh, he's also did the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock, Sherlock, one of the best TV shows ever. So he's a really good writer, always very interesting. His dialogue is fun. 
So it's this. The premise is Stanley Tucci is on death row in Nevada. I think looks like Nevada or Arizona or something. Yeah, I don't know if they ever say where it is. Somewhere in the desert southwest. He's on death row. He's a professor of criminology who murdered his wife. And he's the death row detective. People come to him with cases, things they need solved. And he will sometimes he'll take certain cases and they'll present their mystery to him and he will solve it for them if if he so chooses. So that's one part of the story. The other part of the story, David Tennant is a vicar, an Anglican priest in England who's got a wife. And a teenage son, an older teenage son. And you really don't want to go into any details because anything you say about David Tennant's character will spoil right, right. it. And he's and the son has this math tutor who comes around to help him. And there's this investigative reporter who's friends with the math tutor and is also interviewing the Stanley Tucci character. And yeah, any. I don't want to spoil anything too much, but it is such a well-written show. There are levels and depths to it. Things like when he's solving a case and, you know, the, the, the death row detective is solving a case. He's, he's interviewing someone for the case and he asks them questions. And the person that is asking, well, there'll be nonverbal cues that you as the viewer, if you're paying attention if you're paying attention, as some people don't do in this <laughs> in this couple, <laughs> someone's often looking at their phone, playing with puzzles or whatever. Um, it, you will see things on screen and go, oh, that is a total clue. That is like, and they don't call it out. They don't tell tell you if you pick it up, power to you. But if you don't pick it up, it eventually you'll you'll get things revealed. But it's really fun that way. Um, couple caveats. There's a very big subject matter related to abuse of children. Yeah. It's talked about. You don't see anything, but it's talked about. So if you're sensitive to that, this may not be for you. Also, there's a lot of glib talk about murder and death. Yeah. it It's sort of a signature, almost like with certain um, British writers like like Moffat where they're kind of like glib and funny uh snarky about very something that's very serious like mass murderer or you know serial killer that sort of thing so that may disturb some people but that said it's really clever well acted and I mean it's left you and me talking like because we've only seen half of it. So it's four episodes and you know, like, Oh, maybe inside man means more than just the guy on death row. Maybe it means X. And maybe the fact that the cases involve these things are related to this other thing. And so it's one of those things that gets us talking. I mean, so what do you think? Um, I think that I can't watch the last two episodes fast enough. (laughs) (laughs) We're taking too long. That's, yes, that's what I think. Well, we maybe if if there's not a new episode of the Ricky after we're done recording, we can anyway. we can watch that. Um, yeah, I'm really really liking it. I, I love Stanley Tucci. He's such a great actor. Oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, and David Tennant. David Tennant does. He does a lot of things well, including 
being kind of creepy. Well, when he was Kilgrave in Kilgrave uh, Jessica, in Jessica Jones, Jones yeah. one of the creepiest characters I've ever seen. Yes. He also does funny well, like his his doctor is is frequently funny. He what? Also, what? <laughs> and, he, and he does he does pathos well, like in, in Broadchurch. Broadchurch, right. Um, I, He's just such a versatile actor. And I just I, I enjoy watching him work. Um, And his characters are not all like. They're not all the same guy. You know, some actors are really good at playing that that guy. They're character. They're character like, actors. Yeah. Or leading man actors. They play themselves, right. essentially. Did it, Tennant, I really feel like. He's a character actor. Yeah. He inhabits a role. Yeah, I agree. And there's this quirk in the vicar. So he's a, he's a vicar. He's a priest. Where he keeps saying things like, I'm a vicar, you know, as as an explanation, like. Why, Why are you, you doing this? Well, I'm a vicar. I'm a vicar. Like, I can't, you know, I can't do that. I'm a vicar. Like, but he keeps saying I'm a vicar all the time as excuse or explanation or uh, like, uh, you know, I can't do that for to, you know, I can't tell you that. Why not? I'm a vicar. Like, it's become almost a mantra for the character. And I think a clue to to things about what's going on. I think it's fascinating to see. So anyway, Inside Man is really fantastic. So uh I I, I really recommend it. Now, again, uh as usual, you we have not seen, seen the whole thing. So if in the last two episodes it goes really off the rails and becomes offensive, don't blame us. We haven't seen the whole thing yet. So um so that that being said. You have any other thoughts? Um, no, I just really good. Um, yeah. So, uh, the other thing that we watched is today we watched, rewatched you and I, and the kids watched for the first time, the first episode of the Ms. Marvel series, which was, I, I enjoyed watching it again. I picked up on a lot of things that it moves very fast. It's a quick paced show. Yeah. And so I picked up on a lot more subtle things that I missed the first time through. A lot of groundwork is laid in that first episode that pays off later. And right. once you know the payoff, it lands very differently in the first episode. Especially Stuff the that mom. Didn't seem, details that didn't seem important or that you just went by so fast you didn't even catch them. Right. But you but having knowing how the show works, you you're more I was more likely to Especially with the mom's personality. Because like, when you first watch it, it it seems like she's typical overbearing immigrant mom. You know, that's like it's a stereotype. Almost a stereotype, yeah. The second time through, now knowing her and her his history and seeing how sympathetic of a character she becomes, it it's very different. Now it's it's not just an overbearing immigrant mom stereotype. There's a whole nother level there, right? Like I really thought that they did a good job of. Not exactly undermining the stereotypes, but deepening the people and making them rounded so that they were be they they were went beyond their stereotypes. Yeah, um, very well. Yeah, is is good. I I'm not I'm not sure the kids know where to take this yet, which it's, is I think where we were after watching right, the, the first, first one. After the first episode, I was like, this could be interesting, but I don't really know where it's going yet. It yeah, it doesn't really. In its stride. I mean, it's good from the beginning, but you don't really get invested until two or three episodes. In. Yeah, I think I think that right now we're just going to have to let them let them see what's going on. And then. Right. 
I think I think they'll be excited about it by the end of the show. But right now they're just kind of like, that was okay. Bella was saying she doesn't like movies or TV shows about teens. Well, I think a lot of the tropes that get thrown out there in teen stories are a lot about like teens rebelling teens, you know, hiding things from their parents, sneaking out, doing things that they were specifically told not to do. All things that makes Isabella. She she really, (laughs) she does not like that. She really doesn't like that kind of situational uh, tension, that dramatic tension. Right. When somebody's specifically doing something they were told not to do. She's a rule follower. Um, So there is a little bit of that in the first there's episode. There's a little bit, but it, there's not as much as in some, like like Spider-Man, I think, really hit her nerves a lot. Peter Parker is just very much a... He's constantly breaking the rules. A non-rule follower. Yeah. Whereas I think Ms. Marvel has some... She she's kind of but she's generally doesn't try to defy her parents. Her general attitude towards her parents is not defiance so much as why don't you understand me better? Yes. And I think that that's more sympathetic than the defiant teen who's just like always assumes that their parents are wrong. Right, right. So, yeah, I think I think they'll enjoy it. We'll and really this is the last Marvel thing. I think we've mentioned before the last yes. Marvel thing. I'm I'm still thinking about what to watch next. If we're going to, if we watch anything, Bella's been wanting to watch football. So maybe we'll take a break and finish watching. I'm the not sure season. if everybody's isn't invested in football. As she is. I know it, it's hard. It now it's, it gets hard because they want to, the other thing we have to do is finish watching the chosen season two, because the chosen season three comes out like later this week. Yep. <laughs> so we, we're going to get caught up. Uh, the, the other thing we watched this week was, uh, the next the most recent episode of Andor, which oh, yeah. I think that show has hit its stride. Yes. There were three, three amazing Speech. speeches yeah. in that show. There was um Kino's Kino's The Rallying Cry. Oh, it was brilliant. That yeah. was just a great it, it There is one way out. Uh, and then and Andy Circus was fantastic. Oh, that was a fabulous that 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 scene was just yes perfect. And then um, Luthen's speech was brilliant. What has he given up for the rebellion? What has he sacrificed for oh, the cause? Yes, and that was just so good. Uh, and then Mon Mothma had a great character moment too. Less a speech, but more of a of a scene but her scene was really a great character scene too so yeah that that's that episode was fabulous so there was an interesting critique of the show and uh, i think father no it wasn't father Corey. it was someone else was saying um i agree that the show is about the big picture of the rebellion right because this is a it's not just about cash and andor's journey it's luthan and and mon mothma and it's like so why does Andor end up being the center of it? You know, Dedra and the ISB and Cyril seem as the key to finding the main rebels. He was pivotal in the heist at Aldani, which seems to turn the Empire into the ruthless thing we know in Rogue One. So why is he in the middle of all that? I, and, and, and so on and so forth. And I said, I don't think the series is supposed to be about the center of the rebellion. It's, 
Otherwise, it would be called Mothma or Rael, which is Luthen's last name. You know, I think Andor is supposed to be represent. Cashin is supposed to be representative of all the individuals who make up the rebellion. It's not about George Washington. It's about Benjamin Talmadge. Talmadge was Washington's spy master. You know, he was, you know, a lower level soldier who but I also was think important. That, but I also think that one of the things that this show is doing is it's taking Andor, who was not the main character in Rogue One. Urso was, Jen Urso was the hero in Rogue right. One. But but Andor was a, a secondary character who, who played a large role. He was role. pivotal. He was a pivotal character in Rogue One. But but he has a character moment in Rogue One that I think, even at the time, stood out for me as being something I would in, would like to have explored. Which is, he says something to Jen about the things that he has done in the cause of the rebellion that he is not proud of. Like, right. he has done bad things. And I think that made him an interesting character. And I think one of the things this show is about, I think perhaps the thing the show is about, is yes. I have done bad things for the sake of the rebellion. And I think we see that in Luthen, and I think we see that in Mon Mothma, and we saw Guerrero shows up. And I think that what we're seeing here is the dark side of the rebellion. The, the right. rebellion is not made up of saints. It is made up of very fallible men well, and women. All rebellions are made up of people of varying motivations and varying morality. You know, you have Saw Guerrero, who's basically an anarchist. He's just wants he just wants to see the galaxy burn. He's angry and wants to hurt the people who have hurt him. And then you have Mon Mothma, who would love to peacefully bring about a change and, you know, return to a republic and, and that sort of thing. Then you have sort of Luthen, who's kind of halfway between them. Well, see, I think Luthen is one of He's more closer to Saw. Right. Luthen is, reminds me a lot of Sam Adams in the American Revolution. Yes. He understands that unless things get really hot and uncomfortable, most people will continue to be happy enough with the Empire. They might be grumble, they might complain, they might not like it, but they're not going to rise to rebellion unless they get outraged. Yeah. And Luthen is willing to organize the outrage even at the cost of innocent lives. And you see that sort of organization in Sam Adams. He wants to organize the outrage because that's the only way that he's going to get what he wants. He wants to cause, like Sam Adams wanted the English to react against the Americans in order to get the Americans to get riled up, even if they caused bloodshed among Americans. Yeah, and that that's clearly Luthen. And Luthen clearly sees... You know, he he doesn't envision being around to see the benefits of what he's doing. No, I'm I'm real curious about his background. Where did he come from? I saw someone speculating he might have been a Jedi, but I don't think that's. I don't think we've seen anything that leads to. to well, he had the Kyber crystal. That's the only real clue. He had a Kyber crystal, but what well, I mean, he had a Kyber right. crystal, but but. Well, regardless, I'd be, I'm curious about his background and how he got to be who he is. That's that's an interesting open question. Right. But but I think th that even so, the show is still clearly about 
Andor, I think partly because Luthen is a new character, you could, building a new a show about around a completely new character while it can right. be done. Let's see the Mandalorian. Um, I think that there's there's a reason to to explore more of Andor, well, who we saw in Rogue One. But what we're seeing is Cashin's journey. He starts at the beginning of this as his own man. He's not a rebel. He's not. In, he's not at all interested yeah. in the rebellion. And even at Aldani, he's a mercenary. It's this time in the prison. It, this is a bit spoilery, I guess, but it's this time in the prison that really sets him on the road to the to being a rebel. And I think that's what this show is about: is how does a, how does a guy become a rebel, and not just any rebel, but a rebel par excellence, which will eventually be in Rogue One. Right. It's it's really about that that journey from every man for himself to standing for something bigger for for a cause. Right. And how do you become a partisan in a cause, especially when you're not a nice guy, not an idealist? I mean, in a way, it's not entirely different from Han Solo's character arc. Right. Uh, Han Solo is a rogue, a mercenary. And he gets caught up in the rebellion, but, but he gets caught up in the later stages of the rebellion. Um, yeah, he's in it for the money. He's not for anything else. Right. Until he's kind of in it for something else. Well, at the very end, like at, at he gets his money. He's going to leave. He comes back, saves Luke. They blow the Death Star. Yes. But even then, you get the feeling it's more about loyalty to Luke and Leia than about the rebellion, the cause of the rebellion. Like you never really get the sense that Han is a true believer in right. the rebellion. Right. He's it's lo- yeah, loyalty to these people. Right. And against the Empire is bad. I mean it's just it's bad. And while he may not be an idealist about rebellion, he knows enough that maybe I should throw in my lot with these guys rather than those guys. Anyway, we should move on because uh-huh. we've got plenty of to talk about with the books that you've read. <laughs> yes. So the first book that you you uh, wrote down is The Dark Lord of Dirkholm by Diana Wynne Jones. This was a fun one. The basic premise of Dark Lord of Dirkholm is LARPing, live action role playing, Dungeons and Dragons. So imagine people who want to have the Dungeons and Dragons experience for real. And imagine that somebody figures out how to get into a parallel universe where magic works and decides to take tours of people on quests. Kind of like Westworld, but not with robots. Never saw Westworld, but okay. sure. Um, but the problem is that this is, you know, an actual world where people live, but this guy has managed to somehow have control over the inhabitants such that they have to participate in his LARP. Okay. Um, but it's not really role playing because people actually die. Crops are actually destroyed. You know, cities pillaged. Are the so. tourists killed too? Some of the tourists are killed because some of them are marked as expendable because somebody has paid large sums of money to have them knocked off. Okay, but normally they wouldn't be. Normally, no. But so so ever some so, so one person every year has has get, is picked to pay, play the Dark Lord. Because, okay. you know, every quest has have a Dark Lord. And so this is about the story of the guy who gets to be picked to be Dark Lord who doesn't want to be. And he's a magician who would rather be creating fanciful animals like griffins and flying pigs than participating in this stupid 
LARPing thing. Okay. And then it's about sort of, well, it's actually kind of about a rebellion. Like, huh. how do we overthrow the actual Dark Lord? Who's controlling Who's everything. controlling everything and making us participate in this horrible venture that nobody really wants to be a part of. Huh. It's um, interesting. It's almost a little bit like Ready Player One in some ways. Yeah, too. I mean, there's a there's a sort of an anti-colonialism theme going on because, like, here's they're being their world is being exploited by somebody from another world. Um, but there's a lot of really fun fantasy tropes that it's poking around at. Um, and it's a good family story. Like the center of this story is a father, a mother, and their children. And the family working together, sometimes well, sometimes pulling apart. But it's about a family. Mm. And I really liked that. Uh, so I, I I read it and then uh, I had the kids. All, it's, the kids have all been reading it. It's YA fiction. It's not even YA. It's juvenile fiction. Like okay. there's nothing in it that, that, I mean, there's death, but but nothing gore, horrible and gory. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, it's fantasy. Okay. Suitable for all ages. Suitable for all ages. Okay. It, it has a lot of similar tone to like Howl's Moving Castle or uh, her Crestomancy books. They're, they're fantasy. They have some dark moments, but there's nothing really too grim. Okay. Next book was uh, The Spy Who Came In From The Cold. Yeah, which technically was the one I read before that, but I put them out down out of order. We're just talking about them in this order. Right. So uh, Spy Who Came In From The Cold is the third of John le Carre's George Smiley novels. Uh, George Smiley is not the protagonist. Um, the protagonist is another spy who, and George Smiley is sort of a very small minor character in the story. Okay. This one got dark. Hmm. It's like a lot, there's like double agents uh, turning against each other. And this might be the most famous of his books, right? This one or the, Tinker T- Taylor's Soldier. Oh, Tinker Taylor's Soldier Spy. Spy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always get that title wrong because I think of the nursery rhyme rather than the. Book. <laughs> anyway, yeah, this one is one of his more more famous novels. It ended on a really dark note, and I'm not sure how much I liked it. Like it was much more classic Cold War era spy fiction, mm. and it was a bit more of a of a slog. Okay. Like it was okay. I can see why it's famous. I'm still thinking about it. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe I will like it better in context of the later books, but I'm taking a break from Jean Le Carre for now and reading some other stuff. Okay. I've had enough spy novels. (laughs) And then what else did I read? You read a book that I talked about last week that I finished last week. Dead Man's Hand by James J. Butcher. Right. I had a similar reaction to you. It's definitely a first novel. Right. Which which is not always bad, but, you know, first novels, like, it takes novelists a little bit to, to find their their feet. And I feel like he's he's it got a promise. voice. He's got a voice. He's got promise. This definitely feels like he's still learning the craft. Not unlike his father's first novel oh, in the Dresden Files. The first the first three or four Dresden Files novels are very formulaic and honestly, if they didn't get better, I'm not sure I would be recommending the series as much as I do. But they get better. 
Right. So, I mean, there's 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 promise here. It could definitely get better. And it was it was a fun read. The one thing I will say is that it's set in Boston and I have no idea why, because there is nothing about it that needed to be set in Boston. Yeah. And except where the narrator was specifically telling us that we were in Boston. There was nothing very Boston about any of it. It didn't feel Boston. And when it did tell me I was in Boston, it was jarring. Like it, it threw me out of the story and I was like, wait, we're in Boston. Now I'm trying to like make the, my mental map of this book fit onto Boston. But only because you live fit. here. Like if you lived somewhere else and, and weren't familiar with Boston, it would have just been generic city. But it, it really feels very generic city. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a mention of South Station, which felt completely wrong to anybody well, who actually has ridden. Because it said it was in Boston. South Boston, which it's not. And he talked about the trains coming through like it's a subway station, but it's not. It's a train station end of the line well, so there's platforms well it's it's the, the the what's tricky is that it's both a subway station and there's a train there's a, a subway station underneath south station right. called the south station stop but he the narrative was confused because he's supposed to be getting on the train for worcester which is a commuter train but it's written as if it's a subway it's a subway train except that neither the commuter train nor the subway train has luggage racks so that really <laughs> yeah totally, it was having having spent a lot of time on boston's public transport in my graduate school days it just completely threw me out of the narrative and i was like wait what's going on here where are we what right. i don't understand he's describing something i'm picturing it one way and then he says something i'm like wait a minute that's Oh, that's completely different. And then I have to remap my entire mental image of what he's talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was, I mean, but th- those are quibbles. Yeah. I liked the characters. I liked the story. It, it felt like there were maybe one too many MacGuffins that he was chasing. Like there was a, it got to be a little bit formulaic. Now we have to chase this thing, which will lead us to this thing, which will then lead us to another thing. And then we have to go to the next wing. Very much like a, like a movie or TV show. Like it's a very clear this to that, to that, to that. Right. Right. Yeah. That was, yeah. You know, this, this uh, clue puzzle piece leads to that next puzzle piece leads to the next one. Yeah. Which, which again, that feels like a, a thing that a beginning novelist uses, like a mm-hmm. like a device, let's say. It's not bad. It just, it kind of feels like you're painting by numbers a little bit. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I still recommend it. It's still pretty good. I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. I put it that way. Um, if his father's track record is, is any measure, um, I'm I'm willing to give James J. Butcher a little bit of slack and see what he com- what what's coming from him. So good. Anything else? Um, <laughs> I think that's it, right? You've got stuff that you're so. still working on, but nothing completed. Nothing finished yet. So let's finish up by talking about the uh, readings for this week. Now, again, I I went to our parish. With uh, with some of the kids because of uh, Lucy was sick and you watched the TV mass with her. So we had a couple of different experiences. Ours was uh, Deacon Bob who gave the homily and the the readings were the four last things. Heaven, hell, death and uh, heaven, hell, death and purgatory judgment. Purgatory. Purgatory. Yeah. Yeah. Death, yeah. So 
not sure why, why I couldn't get that. So one of the things that Deacon Bob was, he started talking about was like, he, he used to drive across Pennsylvania a lot when he was taking his sons to school in Ohio, which I don't know if that meant Steubenville or not, but in any case, he said he, they would always see these trucks, these tractor trailer trucks who must've been for a Christian trucking company or Christian owned. And because they would say to them the end and they had uh, you know, Bible verse on him. And he says, well, that hits you between the eyes. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, well, if, if that truck hits you between the eyes, yes, it would be the end. <laughs> it was sort of a jarring uh, note. But, he, you know, he, he asks, you know, so why does the church keep bringing this up every year? Why do we every November have to talk about heaven, hell, death and purgatory? What, you know, why do we get to talk about these very sad things? And it's like, you, you're right. Why do we? And part of it is we get wrapped up in things. We forget what's most important, that this life is just a moment. It's just, you know, it's, it's not everything. Can I, can I make a confession? What? I always look forward to this part of the, the liturgical year. You love talking about heaven, hell, death, and purgatory? I do. I really like this part of the year. I like the, the end time stuff. I mean, <laughs> not like in a creepy way, but just, I, I appreciate the, I guess I appreciate both the idea that these come sort of as the year is dying, as I'm starting to feel kind of a lowering of spirits as the days are getting shorter and the the year is getting colder and everything is dying. I, I kind of, part of me sort of revels in the fact that we can just spend some time thinking about death. <laughs> also, yeah. I, I appreciate the... The wake up call, the reminder, like right. it is, it is beneficial to me to, to be reminded that this world isn't the only things. And, and, well, and it's appropriate because we're about to head into a period where we're going to be talking about anticipation of Christ and right. Advent is not just about, you know, the anticipation of the birth of the baby, but it's, I want to see the baby, but, but the anticipation of the return of Christ and the second coming. Right. So I feel like it, the, the lead in to, from thinking about the last things to thinking about the, the return of Christ, the King at the end of time. And then we slip back into thinking about Christ's first coming and his last coming sort of at the same time. I really like the way it all wraps up the way we go into the darkness in preparation for Christmas. Like it feels like this is the beginning of the preparation for Christmas. Really? Right. Well, like the, 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 the carol in the bleak midwinter. Yeah. I, we gotta, we gotta talk about the, we got to talk about the death. Which, again, I got to point out, this must land very differently for people in the Southern Hemisphere for whom this is spring, you know. And actually, in some ways, even better because it reminds us of the new life that comes with heaven and death and, you know, what comes after. That it reminds it, it, so it's not necessarily a focus on death and decay, but on death and new life. Uh, for, for, right. Well, for, for, us, for us as Christians, death isn't the end. I mean, it's right. not. It's just the beginning. As Amazing Grace says, you know, we've been when we've been dead 10,000 years, it's we're just just getting started, you know. So, yeah. So um, the the gospel reading talks a lot about uh, persecution. Um, 
you know, Jesus, everyone's admiring the temple. Ooh, look how nice the temple is. Wow, look how costly the stones are. And, oh, it's so well appointed. And Jesus comes along and goes, you know, pretty soon, not one stone will be standing on another. And the whole thing's going to be thrown down. And like, Thanks, Jesus, for bringing us all down. But, you know, they're like, teacher, what? When's this going to happen? And so he he's talking about for the immediate uh, uh, answer of the prophecy is when the Romans are going to destroy the temple in 70 AD. But also when his, when his body of the, the temple of his body is destroyed in the, in the crucifixion is, is thrown down. And he tells us like, look, you know, we're going to be persecuted and we're persecuted today. There's something father, uh, father Deacon Bob brought up was, you know, not only is there persecutions, around the world, like our Nigerian brothers and sisters who are being martyred by the day uh, in, in Pakistan and other countries. But even here, there's there's persecution. We have crisis pregnancy centers, 75 of them burned over the past summer. I mean, 75 of them, you know, vandalized and attacked. Churches being attacked, you know, and it's only going to get worse because we profess Jesus. This is something we have to be, you know, ready for. But these readings are about hope. They're not just about bad things. It's about hope. And that's one of the things that Andor, the series, to kind of close the loop on that, is really about. It's about hope. Like there's there's very little hope at the beginning of that series. But they're holding on to hope. Hope is what gets them out of the prison. And hope is what gets them to uh you know, to rebel. Like if, if you don't have any hope, there's no point, you know, you could be Saw Gerrera who just wants to curse the darkness as you go down, taking as many of them with you as you can, or you can hope and, and hope for better. And like Mon Mothma does, there's a better day coming. And Jinerso in Rogue One, you know, rebellions are built on hope. And in a way we're rebelling against the darkness in this rebelling against death rebelling against sin and the devil because we have hope. And these readings tell us something about hope. Um, I, I like, it's interesting to me that Jesus says to them, you know, when you are persecuted and handed over, it will lead to your giving testimony. Remember, you are not to prepare your defense beforehand. Yet in first Peter three fifteen, what does Jesus say? Uh, Peter say, always be ready to give a defense. <laughs> I know they're doing different things. They're talking about two different things, but I just think it's kind of funny. Be, be ready, but don't prepare. <laughs> don't prepare a speech. Yeah. Right. Jesus will give you the words, the Holy spirit. Well, frankly, because you'd be concerned like, Oh my gosh, I'm I'm going to be expected to stand up and defend Christianity. I, I can't do that. It's like, don't worry about it. The Holy spirit will get you. It's got, we, we got you. And, you know, you'll be hated because of my name, but not a hair of your head will be destroyed. There's an interesting point there. Okay. Because obviously many martyrs have been murdered, have been killed, but not destroyed. That's, I think, a difference. I should, I should look at the Greek that's used there because it's probably in the sense of you're not annihilated. You're not caused to cease to exist from history, but that, you know, you will live on. They can put your body to death, but you will continue to live. And I think that's... It's the sense of death has no power over me. Right, right. It's it's 
powerless over the martyrs. You can take their lives, but you can't take their eternal life. You thought I was going to say freedom, didn't you? <laughs> I was personally thinking about like when my favorite movies when I was, you know, a teenager was Labyrinth. You remember with David Bowie? David Bowie, yes. Uh, I'll make a confession that I've never saw it. Never saw it. Anyway, the the teenage girl who, you know, very much reminded me of myself as a teenage girl. Um, she finally confronts the Goblin King and she says, and you have no power over me. And it's a revelation as she's saying it. She finally realizes that he, he doesn't have any power. And that line always just really hit me strongly. Mm. And I think it's because that line is the echo of that's what Jesus says. You death have no power over me. You sin have no power. And so I think that, um, yeah, that's why I loved Labyrinth because because of that speech. You know, you don't have any power over me. Right. There's the what was the verse? Um uh first Corinthians fifteen fifty-five. Oh death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? You know, that you you have no power. You 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 really you know, you can put this body to death, but you can't you can't annihilate me. You can't remove me from existence. You have no power over that. Uh, And that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that these readings give. So they're not negative. They're not a downer. They're hope. So and and they're leading up to in a couple weeks, Christ the King. Uh, Next week. Wow. Is that next week already? It's next week. Wow. That's right. Because in two weeks is going to be the first Sunday of Advent, right. which came really quick, like it does every year, I know. it's We always say mm-hmm. that every year. It's, it came quick. But this one, yeah, that is Christ the King next week. Yep. Well, and that makes it all the more appropriate that this week is the end, and next week is the coronation. Yep. So, cool. So awesome. today, we, um, so I was not, partic- I, I will confess, I was not particularly interested in watching Catholic TV mass. Um, I've been increasingly annoyed by the, uh, <laughs> the ADD uh, direction, camera direction. The, the, the cameras just like want to wander everywhere. And, and honestly, it's really distracting Bishop Reed. I love you, but can we just skip the needing to, to interrupt? Like we have the opening prayer, the father, son, Holy spirit, and then announcement service announcement from Bishop Reed, which is basically a commercial. I don't want that in my mass. Right. I just, I don't put it before, put it after the closing prayer, the opening prayer, but not. That after the opening prayer, once mass has started. Once mass has started. It's just really jarring to me. It is weird that they put it there. I think they're trying to fit. Well, one of the things is the mass actually is on live, live on local TV. Right. It has to fit in with the 28 minutes. It has minute. to fit, in, fit yeah. in their very, very short time span. But I really, it's just. It's annoying, but Lucy really wanted to watch it and she couldn't go to mass. So who am I to say no to the cute nine-year-old girl who really wants to watch the mass mass because she can't go receive communion. Right. And my diligence was rewarded because the homily was on Father Sizek, who's one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, So he wrote with God in Russia and he leadeth me. Um, his two books about his experience. Father Sizek was an American Jesuit priest who felt a very strong call to go minister to 
Eastern Rite Catholics in Russia. During the, in the Soviet Union. So during the Cold War. Um, before. before. He, right, right. Uh, he was called before World War II. Yeah, that's, well, before, before the Cold War, but it was still the Soviet Union. Right. But before World War II, he wanted to go minister to, he, he went to Rome, he studied, he was, he was ordained. Um, he said he, he, he was by ritual. He, he knew yep. the Eastern Rite as well as the Western. Anyway, um, and then he couldn't go to Russia because they were, they were blocking Catholic priests. And so he ended up ministering in Poland and then Russia invaded Poland. So Russia came to him. Right. And he ended up going to Russia, being imprisoned in solitary confinement. And then in the gulag. He, and then he and then he was sent to the gulags. And then sent to the gulag. Yeah. His story is amazing. And I love him so much. He's just one of my great spiritual mentors. His book, He Leadeth Me, has been one of the most formative books I've read. And so to have sort of, I was having a very low, do I really want to do this day? And the homily just felt like, uh, like a little love, love letter from God. Just like, mm-hmm. here, think about one of your favorite people. <laughs> Father didn't, he had a very, they, they don't have very long to do the homily. So he didn't have long time to tie it in to the readings. He basically just talked about Father Sizzik. I don't think he spent a lot of time talking about how Jesus is talking about persecutions and here's somebody who was experiencing persecutions, but it was there. Right. Um, anyway, just wanted to, to throw that out there because it made my day. I was just looking up who the pastor is there and I get trying to find on their website and trying to find the staff listing. And of course, the website doesn't have a really staff. Oh, collaborative staff. There you go. Uh, Father Millick. Adrian, uh, Father Adrian Millick. Adrian Millick, yes. Yeah. Um, very young priest. Yeah, I remember him. He's He is pretty young. Oh. All these priests who I remember being ordained are now like pastors and stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm old. Yeah, so, so he's from he's from the parishes that are just in the next town over. Uh, from us. From us. Yeah. St. Bridget in uh, Abington and Holy Ghost in Whitman. Holy Ghost is the one that has perpetual adoration. I do, yeah. which I haven't been to in far too long, but yeah, I used to go. It's like 24-hour adoration, which is really nice. All right. We want to wrap things up by taking a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Raising the Bets, including Robert O., Jackford K., Denise L., David J., and Chris E. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give Make it possible for us to continue raising the bets and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And that's it for this time. Find links from our discussion in our show notes at sqpn.com slash bets. That's B-E-T-T-S. Send your feedback at the StarQuest Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media. Send us an email at bets at sqpn.com or visit the StarQuest Discord community at sqpn.com slash discord. Follow Raising the Bets in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, your favorite podcast app, or at the StarQuest YouTube channel, where you should also make sure to hit the bell to get notifications. Until next time, I'm Don Bettinelli. And I'm Melanie Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Raising the Bets on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash 
mysterious. 